Support for this broadcast of Two Rivers 30 Minutes comes in part from a grant from Striffler's Family Funeral Homes. From TubeCityOnline.com, this is Two Rivers 30 Minutes, a weekly series of interviews with people making news around the McKeesport area. Produced by Tube City Community Media Incorporated, a nonprofit corporation. I'm Jason Toger, the executive director. On this show, we talk one-on-one with elected officials, community leaders, and others who are trying to make a difference in the Monoc area. And we also take your questions and comments on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. Lots of folks think that the Yakagani River, which has its mouth just few hundred feet here from where the radio studio is, is is one of the most beautiful rivers, but it's what you might not be able to see or what you definitely can't see in the river that might be concerning you. It's microplastics. Last week, we were talking about uh, tiny particles of air pollution uh, called PM2.5. This week, we're talking about microplastics. Dan Brown is on the line with us. He's a Western Pennsylvania field organizer for Penn Environment. Uh, Good morning, Dan. Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm very good. So uh, first things first, it seems to me we ought to define what we're talking about. What are we, when we say microplastics, what are those? What are we talking about? Sure. Uh, Microplastics broadly are any fragment of plastic or flaking of plastic or little tiny piece of plastic that maybe was already manufactured at this size that is less than five millimeters across. So for a reference, that's about the size of a sesame seed. So some of them you actually can see with your naked eye. But, uh, you know, plastic, unlike other organic materials that never decomposes into, you know, earth again it just breaks down into ever smaller pieces of plastic so sometimes they get all the way down to the nanoparticle scale and those ones you definitely cannot see and those ones uh penetrate like the walls inside of your organs and actually uh, have pretty harmful effects that we're only just beginning to understand so so these are are pieces of plastic that flake as you said flake off of let's say trash bags or plastic wrappers or pop bottles or or i guess almost anything that's made of plastic how how do they get eroded down to such small sizes well i mean just over time um the quality of the plastic kind of degrades sometimes um we're talking about plastic that exists within landfills and you know as the seasons pass and as rain falls down on the landfills you have what's called leachate uh which is like the, the water that basically oozes from the landfill towards our waterways, um, you know, away from the actual boundaries of the landfill itself. But it also happens, I mean, the clothes that we wear are full of synthetic fibers that we're constantly shedding just as we go about our day. Or when we do laundry, okay. um, fibers also kind of flake off. Um, and we, we talk about actually four different types of microplastics. So there are fibers. That's what might be in your clothing. There's film. And so that's, you know, kind of plastic packaging yeah. or, you know, plastic bags. Um, fragments are just small pieces of plastic that have broken off of, you know, maybe even something that wasn't intended as a single-use plastic. Uh, and we also talk about microbeads. And those are the plastics that generally um, begin already as microplastics. Those um, are often used, well, were often used. There's been some regulation over the last few decades that seems to be somewhat effective, actually. Uh, but they were used in, um, like, cosmetic products. Um, okay. We're talking with Dan Brown from Penn Environment, and we're going to talk about a study that was released just a few days ago by Penn Environment uh, about the pristine waterways of Pennsylvania and how they are being contaminated by microplastics. That you, you, one of the figures that's astonishing 
is that um, you mentioned that in Philadelphia County, the water department uh, removed 44 tons of trash from a 32-mile stretch of the Schuylkill and uh, Delaware rivers, and uh, more than half of that was plastic waste. So uh, 25, 30 tons of trash that was all plastic waste. That's astonishing. Is, is this stuff that's illegally dumped, or is it stuff that's blowing off of... Uh, legal landfills? Where is all this plastic coming from? I mean, there's a whole confluence of contributors to it, but the sad reality is the vast majority of plastic pollution isn't the result of any sort of crime or anything that's illegal. It's kind of standard practice in, you know, our current consumer and throwaway society. So, so um, I, I want to get more into the mechanism of the, of the study that was released um, a few days ago, but sort of top line figures, what percentage of Pennsylvania's trout streams, for instance, had microplastics and microfibers in them? Uh, this was a follow-up to a study that we did in 2020. In 2020, we studied major waterways, waterways that run past, you know, major cities in Pennsylvania. And in that study, we discovered that 100% of them contained microplastics. So this was kind of a natural follow-up. We thought to ourselves, well, if these major waterways are full of plastic, maybe that shouldn't be so surprising, right? We know that these waterways are pretty polluted. So why don't we take a look at uh, waterways that the Department of Environmental Protection classifies as exceptional value, high quality, and like you said, class A cold water trout and fishing streams. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's just a long way of saying the most beautiful, pristine, and remote streams in the whole state of Pennsylvania. And to answer your question, uh, 100% of those things. <laughs> I'm laughing, but it's not funny. I, so every single place that you sampled, you found microplastics. Yes. Um, and specifically, um, it was microfibers, right, the sort of microplastic that we shed from our clothing that we found in every single stream. Uh, from there... 84% of streams that we sampled had either those microfragments I was talking about or microfilm. Uh, again, that's from like packaging or plastic bags, right? Um, and if there is a silver lining to this study, it, it's a very small silver lining, but I alluded to this earlier. Um, microbeads were only found in one of these high-quality streams that we sample. Uh, so regulations over the last couple decades to uh, prevent manufacturers from putting these microbeads in products uh, at least seems to be having an effect. I mean, I don't know. Maybe if we did uh, an even more thorough study, we could find microbeads. Is there a website or, or that people can get more information from you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, uh, the best URL to go to to see an interactive map of every single sample location for this study is penenvironment.org slash microplastics 2022. Uh, and, and tell folks what Penn Environment does and, and, and how long you've, you've been around. This is not a new organization, and it is a statewide organization. Uh, tell, tell folks a little bit about what you do. Yeah, sure. We're a statewide grassroots environmental organization. Um, our core issues are making sure Pennsylvanians have access to clean air, uh, have access to clean water, and that we generally have a safe and livable environment. And yeah, uh, we've been at it for a very long time. I should add, I'm actually pretty new to Penn Environment. Uh, I have now clocked my first month <laughs> working for them, but they have been around. Oh, goodness. I was briefed on this when I came on board. I want to say since 
the 70s, 80s. It's, it's mm-hmm. been a very long time. Yeah. Uh, and they kind of come out of um, what the Public Interest Research Group and mm-hmm. uh, the Public Interest Network more generally as, as roots back in, I don't know, Ralph Nader's activism yeah. way back in the day. So, so, so talk to me a little bit about the mechanism of this particular study. You mentioned this was a follow-up to one that was done on major waterways uh, about two years ago. Um, how many miles of waterway, for instance, did you study for this latest uh, uh, report? Sure. You know, I'm not quite sure what the mileage of the waterways would be, but we took samples from 50 different rivers and streams and lakes that, again, all qualified as these Department of Environmental Protection, like extremely pristine qualifications, right? And uh, the methodology that we used is what they call like a citizen science methodology. So it actually allows um, more than just, uh, you know, scientists and researchers to go out. I guess everyone's a scientist and researcher if they're engaged, but I mean, citizens themselves, we had... uh, elected officials, um, our own staff uh, went out there and followed methodology that was developed by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Um, and it, this has been used all over the country. It's tried and true. Um, our results are you know, certainly very reliable. You, know, you take safety precautions like, for example, um, well, I guess I should say the way that we take the sample is by putting a mason jar okay. into these waterways. And you have to be very mindful that you step into the body of water uh, downstream of the sample collection point. Sure. You don't want any contamination from your own clothes to get in there. Um, right. And then well, we sent these, um, I think it was 300 total samples from these 50 different waterways uh, to the Academy of Natural Sciences at Drexel University. In Philadelphia, and, and how did you how did you select the? Uh, you said up to you said more than fifty locations. How did you select the more than fifty locations? What was important or strategic about those? Yeah, um, so we worked with different coalition partners to determine what the most locally important streams and rivers were. Uh, like I said, we're a statewide organization. We have all sorts of partners, you know, from east, west, north, south, um, and. These coalition partners helped us kind of identify the ones that would be the most important to them, to local officials, and kind of the most um, headline-grabbing outside of uh, major metropolitan areas of the state. And and in our area, I know the Yakagani was one of the rivers that was sampled. What were some other bodies of water in the western half of the state that you sampled? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, it's worth noting here that, I mean, I'm based in Pittsburgh, uh, and actually we did not have any sample locations within Allegheny County itself because none of them qualify as these exceptional High quality or either. exceptional value. Sure. Yeah, right. Exactly. So the Yakagany, our sample location for that was actually down in Ohio Pile State Park. Um, that was along with Bear Run. Um, there's also Quebec Run at the very Southern border. Uh, and then out towards like Johnstown, we had Sopalo Run. Um, north, like the north of Cranberry, there's Hell Run, uh, but those, those are the main sample points out in like southwestern Pennsylvania. So these are very ru- these are very rural areas, though. These are not uh, industrial areas uh, or heavily populated areas. These are these are very pristine areas. Yeah, yeah, and that was absolutely by design because okay. we wanted to be able to say nowhere is safe. Okay. Microplastics are a menace everywhere, even the places where you might least expect them. Right, even the places that, you know, Pittsburgh residents go to escape the pollution of the city cannot themselves escape from microplastics pollution. We're talking with Dan Brown. He's the Western Pennsylvania field organizer with Penn Environment about a new study that was released uh, just a few days ago uh, called Pennsylvania's Pristine Waterways and Microplastics. This is a study of uh, some of the places where 
as Dan was just saying, we go to escape industrial pollution, uh, but it turns out it's, it's following uh, along with us, at least microplastics is. We'll be back in 30 seconds. Support for this broadcast comes from Striffler's Family Funeral Homes. Since 1866, Striffler's has provided compassionate professional memorial services for families in White Oak, McKeesport, Dravosburg, Portview, and the surrounding areas. Striffler's offers comprehensive pre-planning services and aftercare. And through its affiliated company, Design Monuments, Striffler's also provides permanent markers and memorials crafted in stone, bronze, and other high-quality materials. Learn more at Striffler's.com or call 4 one two six seven eight six one nine one. Dan Brown is our guest. He's a Western Pennsylvania field organizer for Penn Environment. We're talking about a new study called Pennsylvania's Pristine Waterways and Microplastics. The study led by Penn Environment uh, in cooperation with Drexel University and uh, scientists and citizen scientists from across the state of Pennsylvania concludes that one hundred percent of the exceptional value in high-quality trout rivers and streams, including the Yakagani, uh, have microplastics uh, in them. And why should we care, I guess, is the next question, Dan. What are the health effects of people or wildlife or fish ingesting these microplastics? Do we know? Well, we don't quite know. We know how bad it could be. Um, I mean, first and foremost, microplastics... uh, in many of the chemicals used in the manufacture of plastic generally are what you call phthalates. That's with a silent pH at the beginning. Um, I'm actually I'm not sure it's pH, maybe PT. I don't know. It's a very difficult to spell <laughs> Scrabble word. Uh, but phthalates are what you would call endocrine disruptors. Um, they confuse your body. They act as though they are hormones and can throw hormones off balance. There's reason to think that they might cause cancer. Um, they cause infertility, particularly in men. Um, also, uh, microplastics within rivers and streams and, you know, within sources of drinking water, I should add, um, tend to be almost magnets for other sorts of toxic chemicals, things that we use in pesticides, things that we use, I mean, things that are just all over the environment kind of cling to these microplastics. And when a little tiny fish or a little tiny plankton or what it, whatever it may be eats a piece of microplastic, that doesn't mean it's out of the environment and humans are not safe from it because that little fish will be eaten by a bigger fish will be eaten by a bigger fish and all the way up the food chain there's something called bioaccumulation and so the amount of microplastics just gets greater and greater um you know, well, that's higher. my that's my next question. Is we, we we talked with someone recently here from uh, one of the Allegheny County uh, lead free programs, and she was explaining how lead accumulates in the body, and it, it doesn't wash, it doesn't leave the body. It, it binds itself to the bones, basically, as if it's calcium, and you can never get rid of it. Do microplastics do they accumulate, or do they ever leave the body? I, I believe that they accumulate. Um, microplastics have been found in deep living tissue that like, is not particularly close to people's digestive tracts, which means that it can pass through organ walls and wind up in very bizarre parts of our bodies. Um, there, there are memes online. I don't know the veracity of this necessarily, but right. you know, millennials, love, millennials online love to joke about microplastics in their brains, which, um, you know, a little bit of gallows humor, but this probably some truth to that did, did they did they cross the placenta into uh unborn uh fetuses yes and that was actually the next thing i was going to say okay uh, brand new babies <laughs> uh have microplastics inside of them uh, probably very frequently but it's at least been you know found and detected there so yeah nobody is safe it doesn't matter if you are 
you know, negative days old, you know, you still are being exposed to microplastics. Uh, Dan Brown is a Western Pennsylvania field organizer with Penn Environment, and we're talking about uh, a new study uh, on microplastics found in Pennsylvania's uh, high-quality and exceptional-value trout rivers and streams, including the Yakagani River in western Pennsylvania. This is a follow-up to a study uh, two years ago on uh, Pennsylvania's major waterways, uh, both of these studies finding that Every single one of Pennsylvania's waterways is, contains these microscopic particles of plastics. Uh, what about plants? Is it safe? Let's, let's say farmers who are you know, drawing water from a creek or a stream uh, to, to water crops or even just someone who has a garden. Um, are, 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 are microplastics, do they build up in plant life as well? Yes. I mean, basically, as a rule, if you wonder if there might be microplastics there, there the answer is almost always yes. Uh, yeah, microplastics, um, again, leaching out from landfills in, in runoff or in what you call the leachate, right, can go into the soil. And then the roots of, I mean, wheat and lettuce crops, it's been documented, can then take up those microplastics and it winds up in the actual edible portions of those plants. So, I mean, people are in all sorts of ways consuming this plastic. Um, I know the World Wildlife Fund did a study that's been off-cited over the last few years uh, that in an average week, Americans consume five grams of plastic. That's roughly the mass of a disposable plastic bag from the grocery store. So just imagine how fun would it be to sit down and just, just eat one of those bags. Chow down on a plastic bag from, from the grocery store. When did we first become aware that microplastics were a problem? Is this something that was known about in the 50s or 60s, 1950s and 60s, or is this something that is relatively recent? You know, I, I'm not totally familiar with the history of heroic scientists sounding the alarm. My assumption is that this follows a similar trajectory to, say, you know, the climate change issue where there have been scientists going, oh, we might have a problem. We might have a problem for a very, very long time. But uh, it, it's only recently beginning to get um, the sort of attention that it, it really deserves. I mean, I, I genuinely I'm I'm a little freaked out by this myself uh, and think it's one of the biggest issues that we just don't talk about. Um, but because I mean, if you think about the lifespan of plastic products, right, they don't exist on a human time scale. Um, plastics, it takes thousands of years for them to, them to fully degrade. And even when they do fully degrade, it's not into organic material again, right? And if you think that, you know, we didn't begin manufacturing mass amounts of plastic until after World War II, basically, that means we might just be, even if we stopped using plastic entirely in new products today, we would still see I mean, probably a doubling of the quantity of plastic and microplastics in waterways and oceans, you know, in a decade's time. It's, it's a big problem. If you, if you hunt or fish and you're listening to this, or even if you just you, you kayak or, or you like to go swimming uh, in, in one of our state parks, um, as, as Dan mentioned, uh, one of the sampling locations was Ohio Pile State Park, which I know is extremely uh, popular for our listening audience. But uh, places like Sidling Hill, uh, the Little Juniata River, um, uh, Laurel Run uh, Creek, um, Crooked Creek up near Erie, 12 Mile Creek up near Erie. So uh, all of these places that are really popular recreation spots, but I guess more importantly, maybe all of these places that feed into large rivers that are part of the water supply for places like McKeesport and Pittsburgh and, and Braddock and so forth, correct? 
Yeah, that's absolutely right. And and the fact that these pristine rivers have microplastics is kind of the canary in the coal mine. It's if they're there, they are everywhere, um, including yeah, <laughs> inside of your organs. <laughs> do, do, does does the does the commercial or or municipal water filtration process that that different water authorities go through does that remove the microplastics from the water? That's a really good question, and it's kind of uh, there are kind of two ways you can look at it. I mean, yes. If you install high-quality filters, it is actually possible to filter out a large percentage of microplastics. But the flip side of that is it's nearly impossible to filter out all microplastics. And the only way to really tackle this issue is at the level of production and consumption. We need to change the, our, our social relationship to plastics to begin to mitigate this. And I would assume that the, the, the water filtration process, that does nothing to prevent it if you are consuming you mentioned lettuce and wheat as two of the plants that uh, uh, c- capture microplastics in the edible portions. Um, if you're eating those, you know, lettuce and wheat are pretty common in everybody's diet unless they're gluten-free. Uh, they're, they're, cooking, I presume, does not remove the microplastics from these food materials. No, I don't think so. I think it just makes it in there. It's a nice little bit of extra seasoning in addition to your, you know, garlic, onions, and oregano. Oh boy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> like, well, maybe we won't we won't use that in our Top Chef uh, competition. Uh, Dan Brown is with Penn Environment. Give us your website address again for people to get yeah. more information. If you want to look at an interactive map of our sampling locations and the kinds of microplastics we found, you can go to penenvironment.org/microplastics2022. Uh, That whistle you heard uh, is not uh, reminding us that we have to take another short break, but we do have to take another short break. Uh, When we come back, I want to ask what your recommendations are then. We've heard about the problem, so what are some possible solutions? And and also want to ask you, uh, for our listeners uh, throughout western Pennsylvania, is there anything that they can do in terms of talking to their legislators, talking to uh, industry leaders uh, about this problem, okay? Sounds like a plan. Broadcasting from the Tube City Center for Business and Innovation in downtown on McKeesport, right next to the train tracks, as a matter of fact. You're listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, and we'll be back in 30 seconds to wrap things up. You're listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, a production of Tube City Community Media Incorporated. If you've got an idea for someone who you'd like us to interview, or a question or comment, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. Dan Brown from Penn Environment is our guest. He's the Western Pennsylvania field organizer. We're talking about a report that was released just a few days ago called Pennsylvania's Pristine Waterways and Microplastics. Dan, now that we've scared everybody, uh, what can they do? I I mean, someone's listening to this. um, You know, is there any effort, for instance, on the state legislature or the General Assembly to try to address uh, limiting the amount of plastic that's getting into our waterways and into our food sources? Yeah, absolutely. At the state legislature level, for the Pennsylvania General Assembly, and maybe also at the federal level, this could happen uh, a couple different ways, but many states already have what are called bottle deposit requirements. You know, when you buy a bottle of pop, you pay an extra 25 cents, and then when you take it to, I don't know, the grocery store, they have a whole segment with machines you can put it in, and then you get your 25 cents back. So it's a, a little incentive structure. I don't, I don't know if you can shop at Aldi's or anything, but uh, it's kind of the same way that they treat their... Uh, Shopping carts, right? You put a quarter in, and it incentivizes you to do your due diligence and put it back at the end. Well, we you, do the same. You, you triggered something in my memory that that a little while ago, my wife and I uh, were in upstate New York, and we stopped at a restaurant or or someplace where we had takeout, and. My, my wife was really impressed that they put it in a nice little brown paper bag for us. But then we went, I think, to a Walgreens or a Rite Aid, and they put 
stuff in a little brown paper bag. And then we went to a, a, a Wegmans or a Topps Market or something, and they put everything in a little brown paper bag. And we finally asked, and they said, oh, well, they don't allow plastic bags anymore, single-use plastic bags, in New York State anymore. It, it, are, do, have any municipalities or counties in Pennsylvania enacted plastic bag bans? Because those certainly seem to be everywhere uh, as, as far as litter goes. Yes, and that is actually our number one policy recommendation. You began asking about the General Assembly, so I kind of hop skipped and jumped over it. But uh, yeah, Philadelphia a few years ago passed a municipal ban on plastic bags, and the state legislature actually for a while then had uh, what was called a preemption on plastic bag bans. There was uh, effectively a ban on bans. They wouldn't let other municipalities pass it because, I don't know, many of our state legislators are... Um, in bed with the plastics industry. Well, let me but, let me let me well let's let's play devil's advocate. Is this going to add cost? Because I think it's the first thing that a, the average listener is going to say: Is this going to add to my grocery bill or add to my uh, shopping bill? If all of a sudden these single use and I have one right here, these very, very <laughs> thin single use plastic bags, if all of a sudden they're banned and heavier duty brown paper bags are required. I mean, the cost difference between a plastic bag and a paper bag is minuscule, and there are also economies of scale at play here. The, the, the more places that pass these, the more efficient it is to you know, buy paper bags. Uh, so I, I really don't think that you're going to see anything substantial in terms of a, a price increase in your grocery bill um, as a result of this. I mean, of I, I will say that I didn't notice a big difference in what we were buying in Walgreens in upstate New York and what we would buy in Walgreens in, in western Pennsylvania, but it was hardly a scientific study, but the it, it was striking that all of a sudden, as soon as we crossed the state line, everything was was coming in brown paper bags. I, I preempted you a little bit there with the General Assembly. You, you mentioned that the General Assembly has stopped municipalities and counties from enacting their own plastic bag bans. Is, is there any chance of getting that plastic bag ban ban overturned on the, on the state level? Well, in fact, Penn Environment, along with other agencies um, and nonprofits, sued <laughs> the legislature over this. And uh, I mean, I'm not quite sure where the lawsuit went, but as a result of that and other pressure, they let it expire um, when you know the, the, the date range they stamped on it initially uh, was up. And so, as soon as that happened, we saw uh, kind of the dam burst with a lot of suburbs of Philadelphia passing their own bans. Okay. That's largely because of work that Penn Environment did uh, in that area lobbying. And now Pittsburgh um, has passed. A ban on single-use plastic bags. It hasn't gone into effect yet. It goes into effect this coming April. But our hope is that we can follow the model we've been using in eastern Pennsylvania and uh, do that here and um, you know talk to local officials. Because there's a lot of willpower that many local officials want to do something about these problems because we really do cherish our waterways. It's not a partisan issue. You know, we just want to make sure that our environment is healthy and that the people who live here are healthy too. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm going to be doing some work in the coming months, scheduling meetings and setting up webinars and making sure people have all the information they need, and best practices to yeah, ban single-use plastic bags and also uh, polystyrene containers, you know, styrofoam, basically. When, when it, let, let, we we're running short on time, but let's, let's say you had a magic wand to wave or, or I had a magic wand to wave and we could say, um, presto, there will be no more single-use plastic bags in, in Pennsylvania. Is there any estimate on how long we would start? It would take until we would start to notice a drop in the amount of microplastics in our waterways, for instance. Sure. I mean, th this brings to mind for me kind of a, a truism that the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time to plant a tree is right now, gotcha. and it, it might take a long time, but. 
and it's going to take a long time no matter when we start. Uh, so we better start right now. And for folks who are listening to this, whether they're in, in Braddock or McKeesport or, or any of the surrounding areas, uh, what can they do? Uh, who should they talk to? Who, how should they get involved as, on the individual level? Yeah, I mean, I think the most effective place um, to raise your voice is at the local level. Um, we really can have a substantial impact in convincing local officials that they should take this on, that there's public will behind them. Uh, and we could get to a point where we see a critical mass of municipalities passing these bans, and it becomes more viable uh, to do so at a state level, because it's not such a big lift that I mean, we already have it in place for, you know, X percentage of Pennsylvania's population. Uh, we've been talking this morning with Dan Brown. He's Western Pennsylvania field organizer for Penn Environment uh, about a study that came out just a few days ago called Pennsylvania's Pristine Waterways and Microplastics. This was a study of more than 50 uh, waterways across the state of Pennsylvania, including in, in our area, uh, uh, the Yakagani River near Ohio Powell, that concluded that Every high-quality trout stream, these are the high-quality recreational streams, uh, the pristine streams, are, so we think, uh, actually are concealing uh, tiny particles of plastic uh, smaller than a grain of rice. Uh, you can get that study on Penn Environment's website. Dan, thank you for taking some time to talk with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for giving us a platform to share this important message. And thank you all for listening this week to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, broadcasting from the Tube City Center for Business and Innovation in downtown McKeesport. On Radio 81 WED. 1550 and 101.1 WZUM, the Pittsburgh Jazz Channel, and Tube City Online Radio. So long for now. You've been listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, copyright Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Opinions expressed on this program are not those of Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Listener support makes this program possible. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our website at tubecityonline.com and click on the donate link. You can also get a free subscription to this program and other podcasts at our website using Apple's iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you've got a question or comment, we hope you'll write to us. Our address is Tube City Community Media Incorporated, P.O. Box 94, McKeesport, PA, 15134. You can email us at TubeCityTiger at gmail.com or call us at area code 412-614-9659. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at TubeCityOnline. Online.